All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, everybody. It's Manoush. Just want to say right up top here, this conversation that you're about to hear gets into some pretty grown up topics. So if you're not in the mood to get into it with your little ones or, I don't know, you still get embarrassed in front of your mom, save this one uh, to listen to when you're alone. It's a good one. It's a really good one. We are sexualizing women all over the place and, and, and urging this performance of sexiness. So if all of that led to girls feeling like they had more agency, more of a voice, more pleasure, more power in their sexual encounters, I might say, okay, I'm just being old and fusty and I have to get over it. Yeah. But it's the inverse, and that confidence is coming off with their clothes. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This week, some of the messed up cultural messages about sexiness and sex online that girls see. Make yourself sexy just for yourself. Looking hot in an Instagram selfie? Well, that means you're empowered, especially if you get more than 50 likes. Texting someone a revealing picture of yourself? You're owning your sexuality, girlfriend. Wait, are you? This is actually a song from the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Don't you love it? Writer, actress, Rachel Bloom has this dark feminist sense of humor. If I put myself first for him, then by definition, aren't I putting myself second? Don't think about it too hard, too, too hard. Don't Don't think about it too hard, too, too hard. hard. It's a wormhole. It's a Mobius strip. It's snake eats tail. It's the infinity Rachel Bloom, Lena Dunham, comedian Amy Schumer, Broad City's Ilana Glazer, Abby Jacobson, funny, funny women who look, they look real. And they are making videos and talking about situations where they have sex because they want to, not because some guy thought that they were hot. So why are you getting your panties in a bunch then? Because, Ray, I've worked very, very hard to overcome the challenges of my non-traditional body type and accept myself for who I am. I'm not going to be edged out of my own life by girls who don't even have any interesting fat deposits on them. Oh, my God, I love this. But it's a size zero. That's a size smaller than I was thinking my new body would be. It's so cute. Isn't it so cute? Doesn't it make you want to kill yourself? Yes. That was cool. That was like a threesome in a way. Uh, Alana, what are we doing? Are we just having sex, hooking up? Are we dating? What is this? This is purely physical. Why does this always happen to me? But these women and this new kind of perspective are actually really on the cultural cutting edge. 
every girl knows she's going to get more likes when she puts up a picture of herself in a bikini than when she puts one up in a parka. Peggy Ornstein writes about the lives of girls. Her best-selling book, Cinderella Ate My Daughter, was about the princess industry that is sold to little girls. Tiaras, pink, high heels for three-year-olds. Yeah, now she's moved on to the next stage, teens. Her latest book is Girls and Sex, Navigating the Complicated New Landscape. She did most of her research by interviewing 70 girls between the ages of 15 and 20, all college-bound or in college already, girls whom she figured would have gotten the feminist message when it comes to sex. Did they get the message? Yeah, you know, I thought these are the girls who, you know, have opportunity. These are the girls who are the beneficiary of feminism. And if I had been interviewing them about their ambitions, about their education, about their political voice, I would have walked away impressed. They were leaning in all over the place. But then, (laughs) you know, in their personal lives, they were sort of toppling. So I felt like girls today, they felt like they could engage in sex, but they didn't necessarily feel like they could enjoy it. I was on Reddit, and I just kind of wanted to see what they were saying about your book on there. And there was an interesting thread um, of some guys, basically, who seemed, you know, genuinely hurt that they were being cast as the bad guys, that, you know, we're still in charge, and all we want to do is get laid, and uh, all we do is think about ourselves. And you know, and there were a bunch of them were like, I'm not like that, and I, not all my friends are like that. Uh, I would answer that two ways. First of all, very early in the book, I say, I'm going to say this once, and I'm not going to repeat it because it's obvious. Not all men, right? Duh. Mm-hmm. Not all boys. And to say that completely denies that we have an issue and that they're equally responsible, whether they are those boys or whether they aren't those boys. And the other piece of that is that I very consciously ended the book in a co-educational classroom. And the last image in the book is a boy who is struggling with these issues and struggling with having a girlfriend who is sexually pressuring him and the expectation on him through masculinity that he perform when he's not comfortable with that. And so I'm very cognizant um, of the idea that boys are struggling with issues, too. It's just, you know, my book happens to be about girls. And actually, my favorite anecdote of a boy was in that classroom where they're talking about the baseball metaphor, you know, for sex. Mm -hmm. And he suddenly says, wait a second, in baseball, there's winners and there's losers. Mm -hmm. So who's supposed to be the loser in a sexual encounter? And... I thought just that thought, just that little shift was so profound. And that boy, from now on, I will bet you, will go into his encounters more as a partner and less as an adversary. It's so interesting to me because I am so firmly Gen X, um, Mm -hmm. you know, early 40s. And I have to say a lot of what you described in terms of the hookup culture sounded extremely familiar. Mm -hmm. But... What is different now to me is these new kinds of role models, women like Lena Dunham or Amy Schumer, who represent their bodies and sex in a positive way. Do they not represent mainstream society's attitudes? Are they more fringe than I think they are? I think it's just it's complicated. You know, it's a mix. I think those those women were coming up as I was doing the research, and I think that they have been 
fabulous, you know. But I think for today's young women, this idea of hot, which has been marketed for a while but has intensified in, you know, the internet and social media era, that tells them that how their bodies look to other people is more important than how those bodies feel to them, that tells them being desirable is more important than desire, is so powerful. And whereas for, I think, Gen X women, baby boom women, we would have seen that as something to kind of push back against, Mm -hmm. to protest. Mm -hmm. For them, it's marketed as a source of, and maybe the source of personal power and confidence. Marketed being the key word here. The key word, yeah. And girls struggled with that. You know, one girl said to me, isn't it possible, she used the word slutty, she said, isn't it possible to dress slutty because you feel good about yourself and don't need validation as opposed to because you don't feel good about yourself and do need validation? And I said, okay, fair point. Tell me how you know the difference. And she just sort of drooped and said, I don't. And I spend the better part of my life trying to figure that out. And I think it's at the expense of my own well-being. Yeah, it's interesting. Like with Lena Dunham, I guess it's because like she has kind of a poochy tummy that I feel like it's not a marketing thing, that she's just being honest. I find it fascinating. Well, and she's aggressively putting out an ordinary body. and But what if she did have a crazy like Kardashian body? Would we still be saying that? I don't think so. I think that that would be a different thing. The phrase that I hear a lot is, I'm proud of my body. It's a phrase Kim Kardashian uses, too. And I talked to one girl about that who was, showed me a picture of herself kind of dressed in a crop top and, you know, a little skirt and high heels. And she said, I'm proud of my body, and I never feel more liberated than when I'm wearing skimpy clothing. But then as we continued to talk, she said a year ago she wouldn't have worn that clothing because she was 25 pounds heavier, hmm. and she would be afraid that if she went out— In clothing like that, some boys would call me the fat girl, and that would be bad for my mental health. And so what I say is, so who gets to be proud of which body under what circumstances and how liberating is it if humiliation, you know, lurks right around the corner? And the fact is it's such a bait and switch because while we are sexualizing women all over the place and urging this performance of sexiness, what that correlates with is actually less satisfaction in your actual sexual interaction. So if all of that led to girls feeling like they had more agency, more of a voice, more pleasure, more power in their sexual encounters, I might say, okay, I'm just being old and fusty and I have to get over it. Yeah. But it's the inverse. And that confidence is coming off with their clothes. So do you feel like the subject of girls is a little bit like B.I. or A.I., like before Internet or after Internet? (laughs) Like, did it change the situation as radically as we sometimes think? Because a lot of what you describe in the book sounds really familiar to what I experienced 20 years ago, just minus sort of the intensification, which I think is digital, right? It is digital. And there's some such great things about the Internet. You know, it it has allowed young women to organize around sexual assault. I think, you know, it's been a tremendous tool for them for that. It's tremendous for LGBTQ kids. It's, you know, you find areas of interest. And it has a double-edged sword aspect to it where it intensifies that idea for girls that the self is developed from the outside in. And when we're talking about selfie culture and we're talking about social media, you know, every girl knows she's going to get more likes 
when she puts up a picture of herself in a bikini than when she puts one up in a parka. But Peggy, the thought that there could be joy and integrity um, and beauty around sex in this country as opposed to what is usually shame or regrets or just sexiness or hotness. I mean, that seems like a Mm -hmm. really tall order. It's like, you know, people being okay with nakedness in a non-sexual way in Europe. Like, I just don't see that happening here. Well, here's the thing. I mean, to me... If I didn't believe that that could happen, at least to a degree, I wouldn't have written a book. And I feel like the fact that this book has been so embraced Mm -hmm. shows that there's a a hunger to change that conversation. And I do believe that we're ready and able and willing to have conversations that, yeah, I mean, I don't expect the whole world in America to change, but – we can change a good deal of it. So, I mean, is it a digital literacy thing or is it a sex ed thing? Or are we going into sort of an interdisciplinary place now and because the Internet and social media do cross paths with the way younger people's sexuality develops? Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All of the above. You know, I end the book in a co-ed classroom for that reason, to show the potential of sex ed, although I think in the end, probably in our country, a lot of this is going to have to come from parents. So is part of that saying to your daughter or or telling parents to say, like, don't post sexy pictures of yourself or don't like other girls' selfies so that we don't perpetuate this sort of, like, yes, you look hot and that's all that matters? I don't know. I worry that then we're saying, like, those girls are trashy. You should keep it classy. Like, that's not a good message, right? No, 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 no. You never want to be putting down other girls in the process. But you want to be asking questions. What do you want out of this? What feels good to you? What does social media encourage us to value? in our friends and Mm. in ourselves. So I was just thinking about talking to my daughter who is not on social media and does not have a phone but wants one. So let's say that boy that you're texting with asks you for a photo of your face. What would that feel like to you? What do you think you want to do about that? What would you do? What would be okay? What would not be okay? Okay, let's say he asked for a photo of your body but fully clothed. You know, what would that be like? And sort of, you know, what if he asked for a photo of your butt? but your butt in pants. And he sends you one saying, see, I don't mind. I trust you. I'll send you one. Like, how do you respond to these things? What are the messages that feel good to you about yourselves? What are your values? What are our values? How do we communicate that? So, you know, I'm really big on asking kids questions rather than giving them prescriptions yeah, and I mean, trying it, to have a discussion with them. It sounds like you're asking them to game it out and not because you know what the right yeah. answer is, but you're saying, like, take a minute Check in with yourself how you would react instead of this sort of impulsiveness that I think is so encouraged with texting and posting stuff online. And to me, that seems to be the thing that our – not to be preachy, but that our society is missing right now, that beat, this moment of checking in with ourselves that I think has to be taught. Yeah, for teenagers, that is not who they are. You know, that is not developmentally who they are. So that really has to be taught to them. And I also think that when you start having these conversations with kids, that it also signals to them that they can talk to you. Whereas what Mm. I think we typically do in this country is say, if you have any questions, I'm here for you. And no kid is going to ask you a question under those circumstances. (laughs) But when you're saying... Right? Because that's yeah. putting the onus on them. Okay. So, but well, let's I, just to say, let's just say, like, you know, I feel like I'm expressing myself and I am owning it. In fact, mom, I am proud of my body and I don't know why you're being so weird about this. Like, yeah. Those well, phrases, like owning it and expressing myself, mm-hmm. like, I feel like, you know, I'm 40. I want to exp- 
express myself and own it too. Like I kind of want to say, yes, let's do that. Why is that the central way that our culture tells us to express ourselves and own ourselves? And why is it specifically for women? That's what I'd ask. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, the other day we were in Target. I shouldn't tell the stories on my daughter. She gets mad. But the other day we were in Target, and there's this new line of superhero dolls for girls. And she's too old for that kind of thing now. But there was a display, and I said, what do you think of that? And she said, I don't like it. And I said, well, what don't you like about it? And she said, Mom, you know what I don't like about it. And I said, Tell me anyway. I want to hear what you have to say. And she went through, she was like, well, their eyes are bigger than their wrists. I don't care for that. They're not very diverse. They're mostly white. Um, you know, and like she went through this whole thing and I thought she had like media literacy. And people used to say to me when I was writing Cinderella Ate My Daughter, like, don't you worry you're going to brainwash your kid by giving her these messages about media or Disney or whatever I was doing. And I'd say – no, I want to brainwash my kid. If I don't brainwash my kid, the culture's going to brainwash my kid. Of course. I want her to go into every situation like that target and have my voice playing in her head saying, look, their eyes are bigger than their wrists. You know, what does that mean? Why is that? Because that's what parenting still is, I guess. That's one thing that hasn't I changed. think, honestly, I was unprepared that the job for this generation of parents, so much of the job was going to be to be managing the media, managing marketing, managing these messages that come at our kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is the challenge for this new generation of parents. And we were not raised to meet this challenge. We are trying to figure it out. I also feel like because it's everywhere and so fully saturates our everything, we begin to think it's normal. I'm actually thinking of pubic hair right now, to be honest, because, you know, I knew people whatever, trimmed or changed the way that their pubic hair looked. But now this idea that women under the age of, I guess, I don't even know what age, just don't have pubic <laughs> hair or like or Brazilian, like that that's normal to me is yeah. kind of fascinating. Right. And it's obviously porn driven, but it creates this whole new anxiety that kind of threw me for a loop. And I've actually been just as a possibility for another project. I've been gathering questions from the girls I interviewed, and a lot of their questions, there's a whole category around, is my vagina, or they really should say vulva, but vagina, normal? Hmm. And does it look normal? And this, you know, to me, that's like asking, is my fingerprint normal? Yeah, that's Why would you even care? You know, like, what is that? But they have been so exposed, whether, you know, through pornography or through male expectation or whatever, and because they strip off pubic hair, to the idea that there should be some kind of standard-looking vulva and that it should look kind of, you know, like the women in porn are like Barbie, who doesn't even, you know, have a vagina. She's made of plastic. (laughs) Is this sexting? Like, is that what this is? Like, is it because we uh, are actually showing people our lady parts publicly? I think, you know, it's interesting because what I w- compared it to is the 1920s when fashions first started showing women's limbs. Mm. That mm-hmm. was when women started shaving. It was when those body parts, mm. legs and armpits became public and were open to public scrutiny and critique. And so it made me think, you know, are we now in some way – making girls' vulvas open to public scrutiny and critique. I want to ask you something that's sort of been bothering me as I read your book, which is I wonder if I'm having an anti-feminist thought by thinking that, well, for a lot of these girls, they want to hook up because they think that the boy likes them. And then 
he might be their boyfriend and they would have a relationship. Like, is that really lame of me to be thinking that, that this is just all a way of looking for approval, of feeling validated because a boy likes you and they don't know any other way to express that? Like, maybe this is more about boys being okay with emotional honesty? I don't, I don't know. Well, that is a big piece of it, boys being okay with emotional honesty. But for older girls, there were a lot of girls who came in to talk to me and would say, I'm not a victim of this culture. I'm a participant, and I don't want to have a boyfriend because it is too time-consuming. Hmm. I have other things on my plate. There's things I want to do, and this is okay for me right now. Um, and so my job, I felt, was not to say that's right or that's wrong, but to say – okay, well, let's talk about what you get out of a hookup and let's talk about what you don't get out of a hookup based both on the girls that I talked to and the research. And what is pretty clear is that, you know, you can get out of a hookup, you can get, you know, a warm body, you can get a war story, you can get an adrenaline <laughs> rush, um, you might get some good feeling. You are likely not going to get good sex. You are likely not going to get the tools that you need to practice good sex or engage in intimacy to learn how to have an intimate relationship. If that's what you want, know that going in. Be realistic. That's okay. But make sure that you are informed about what you are likely and not likely to get out of that situation. Peggy Ornstein, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. It is my great pleasure. Thank you. That's writer, researcher, and parent Peggy Orenstein. While we're on the subject of gender, I have got a question specifically for the moms out there. Okay, we are working on a very special project for July, and we want to include your voice. Tell us something nutty that happened to you when you were trying to achieve <clears throat> work-life balance. <laughs> yeah, it can be minor, like when I shook hands to say goodbye with a client and then looked down and saw that I had two big, perfectly symmetrical circles of breast milk seeping through the front of my blouse. Or it could be more major, like when Jen Point, executive producer of this show, got promoted during her maternity leave and then found returning to work after having a baby was a big stressor on her marriage. Yeah, it can be hard to hold it together, to be an amazing career woman and parent. And sometimes it gets a little crazy. So we want to hear your story. Please record your voice memo on your phone and then send it to note to self at WNYC.org. We really, really appreciate it. The Note to Self team this week included Jenna Cagle, Seth Kelly, Jen Point, and Joe Plord. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Wait, Barbie doesn't have a vagina? I think that might have to be the episode title for um, this show. Barbie does not. (laughs) Check her out, man. She does not. No.